0: Welcome, everyone, as Fantastic Geek returns to the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone, here today with the fourth of a six film podcast plan that began with Star Wars Episode One, once a Patreon exclusive, now here all the episodes coming at you for the masses. I'm not going to call it Matt from henceforth episode four. This is star Wars. This is always the original, at least for me.
0: Pete, there you go. Disrespecting George's wishes for (laughs) star Wars colon episode four dash a new hope. Uh, But Pete, let's pause the look Uh, to the past and look instead to the future as low-level rumors uh, suggest that the next Star Wars movie might be uh, revving up in the casting department.
1: Yes. uh, With plans to shoot this year, apparently came out in the fall that uh, Damon Lindelof uh, and then further added Justin Britt Gibson have uh, written a Star Wars movie uh, that will uh, incorporate sequel trilogy characters. We don't know any particulars. Uh, I have my uh, thoughts and and my beliefs. Um, and uh, Ms. Marvel. Uh, director and uh, Oscar-winning documentarian Charmaine Obaid Chinoy, who we've had the uh, wonderful pleasure of uh, being around at the Paley Center in New York, is going to direct. Um, all sorts of rumors. The the strongest rumor right now is uh, the lead will be a person of color. I have been telling. Matt and, and everybody pretty much for weeks. I strongly believe that John Boyega is coming back and this is a thin story. It is not conceived uh, to be a trilogy at this time. Merely, it's a movie. Uh, whether that leads to more remains to be seen. Uh, in the last 12 hours, a rumor has circulated that uh, Brian Tyree Henry may be in there um i've seen uh loki uh alum uh gugu and batha raw uh mentioned as well um so exciting times here as as this uh, rumor mill spins pretty hard
0: it's a very interesting time of course for star wars given the uh the absence of it on the big screen given the success on disney plus particularly as the industry kind of wakes up question mark to the new reality question mark that maybe streaming is not the end all and be all so diversifying your eggs into different baskets i.e. sometimes on tv sometimes on the movies in terms of what you're making um that's the pendulum is swinging back towards that so i think of sometimes smart business leadership whether it's luck or foresight sometimes it's anticipating the trend not jumping on the trend um so to me you know if i'm in charge of whatever studio i'm starting to think what do we have that's what can we have that can maybe swing with the pendulum and if you're in charge of star wars or if you're disney you know two years from now it might be a there might be a whole lot less money going towards streaming in general not saying star wars not saying disney plus um and certainly one would anticipate two years from now three years from now more vigorous movie. Um, theatrical going experience than let's say there has been this year certainly coming off of uh, COVID and so forth so time will tell there and Pete an interesting comment that you made there conceiving it just as a movie or conceiving of it rather as just one movie that coincidentally is a theme I had wanted to mention early on as we look at 1977's Star Wars the only Star Wars movie I would argue the only Star Wars property ever made to just be a standalone thing not something that was necessarily tied into a larger property um and I'm not saying that the other films have have suffered as a result of that but it's interesting to think that this movie yes it has a within the world of the story yes it has things that came before it the rise of the empire yes it has at the end of it the the Rebels will continue to fight really great, um, but that this is this is the only standalone Star Wars movie, at least in terms of its writing, production, and so forth. My
1: first movie in 1977, I was two. Uh, we went to a drive-in theater. Uh, my mom made uh, popcorn on the stove that we took with us. Uh, it was a life changing experience um later would see it uh at lincoln center with the uh the orchestra there playing john williams work in uh 2017 for the 40th anniversary um the idea here that episode one or episode one that episode four added on re-release you know back in the day they would re-release this at Christmas, around Easter, really any time they felt like it. When Empire came out, here's Star Wars again. When Jedi came out, they released the two again. Um, I have it's uh, it's rare. I have a DVD. It's an official DVD. They put them out um, of the unaltered cuts of all three of the films now i did watch this on disney plus to prepare for our discussion today but you know when there was just a long long, uh, time ago in a galaxy far far away and then the crawl and no episode four that was added later um but really this is the standard for modern filmmaking even you know all these years later. Um, So George Lucas's reaction to the Vietnam war and Watergate and uh, through the lens of Saturday morning serials, even though, as you mentioned before, this one conceived, you know, it was really the question of, well, here's my, the star Wars. And they're like, okay, but like, you need to just make the most interesting part of it. And even then it doesn't take off. And there's all the stories of the British crew snickering as Lucas is directing here, that this thing is going to be a joke and it becomes just this blockbusting monster phenomenon of its own. And, you know, all because he couldn't get the rights to flash Gordon.
0: And it's such an interesting, um, Time in leading up to the creation of this movie, in that Lucas, late '60s film student, ends up in the orbit of the revered Francis Ford Coppola, who at that point uh, had won an Oscar for co-writing uh, *Patton*. And um, George Lucas helps co-found uh, the the indie studio out of San Francisco, American Zoetrope. But it's very clear that Francis Ford Coppola is the guy the energy behind it and so forth and um George Lucas kind of like the quiet artist who might be groomed to do greater things um Lucas's first film THX 1138 comes out it's a bomb so kind of this I mean side note it's a perfectly fine movie to go back and watch now especially the special edition that is it's it's a good special edition um but this notion of like you know late 60s early 70s like the artist collection man if you just a collective man if you just get together a bunch of people get them away from hollywood it's gonna be great things yes coppola does these great things um the godfather godfather 2 the conversation and so forth um parallel to that teach x1138 okay george it's brilliant but it's too out there george give us something that's more you know like that people can relate to so Lucas says, how about a movie about the things I liked when I was a teen? It does American Graffiti, that's a hit. So now all of a sudden Lucas has this creative success with science fiction, THX 1138, and this much more kind of viable welcome to the real world, showbiz, you need money, et cetera, um, nostalgia journey for American Graffiti. And I think that, of course, you can see He starts to kind of combine the two as, you know, as a recipe for Star Wars. As you say, Pete, not a lot of people had faith in it and many studios passed on it and so forth. Um, But what I want to particularly highlight is as Coppola is at this height here, Oscar winning writer, obviously Godfather Oscars, Godfather 2, so forth. um, By the end of the 70s, Apocalypse Now, Coppola is at his creative height, his Oscar winning height but he's running out of money his dream of a self-funded studio to create art with a capital a that fades throughout the 70s meanwhile lucas who settles perhaps one might say settles for a bit less settles for what if you did you know fairy tales but it's science fiction but it's you know the farm boy like kind of goes for something that's a bit more commercial what what comes out of that industrial light and magic Lucasfilm, film lucas in charge of fine not a studio on the level of 20th century fox and warner brothers and universal and so forth but lucas being financially independent for the rest of his career um based on star wars based on the investments he's made based on the power the, the money that he's used to empower other people particularly with industrial light and magic Also want to throw Indiana Jones in there, helping keep money coming in. To me, it's just so interesting. Coppola, the better filmmaker, I think many would argue, Coppola with all these Oscars and, you know, the greats, Godfather, Godfather 2, Conversation, Apocalypse Now, Patton. Just, you know, anybody would kill for half those movies. But it's quiet George Lucas, who, you know, wouldn't speak up at American Zoetrope meetings, who ends up, he goes from underappreciated to owns his own studio and does whatever he wants and empowers other people. Whereas Coppola could not sustain that.
1: Let's not leave out because it all begins here. uh, The merchandising, the foresight to take the cut of that. um, And what that looked like, you know, those that may not be old enough to remember, there were no star Wars toys Christmas of 1977 they sold an empty box <laughs> they sold an early bird kit hey you th- this is a certificate for the figures that have not yet been made that we will send you once they're made and this just behemoth uh, merchandise uh bonanza was born on the back of this film And as we open here with the blockade runner uh, and the size and the sound and the science fiction worn in universe that had never been seen on this level before and immediately pulls
0: the viewer, the audience in. And, and not to overstate the obvious here. I mean, all they're doing is shooting, I mean, they're great models, great design, Ralph MacQuarie, the whole model shop, et cetera. But all they're doing is shooting it at an angle to make it look really big. You know what I mean? But it, to this day, it's not just iconic, it's breathtaking every single time you watch it because here's the little, like, you don't need the explanation. I mean, there's the crawl, there's the necessity of the crawl and so forth, but what's going on right at this moment, there's a little ship being chased by a big ship we all understand the film language there. We understand that we want the little fish to not get caught by the big fish. We want the little, the little kid to not be beat up by the big bully and so forth. And, you know, we're just off to the races here. Worth keeping in mind, Pete, because the special effects took time there were people in the course of production who would watch as rough edits and rough edits came together and it would be like, I'm not saying this particular scene. I know this is definitely true for the death star attack We'd just be like shot missing, shot, missing, shot, missing. Yeah. You'd be like, I don't know. just, a whole bunch of missing stuff here. This is dumb. We're
1: seeing world war two black and white footage of, well, it's going to kind of look like this. Just imagine this, but spaceship stuff. Um, So yeah, and then you're inside the ship here and the introduction of the droids. We see stormtroopers break through for the first time. Nothing had ever been glimpsed like that before. And then the appearance of the greatest villain in cinematic history.
0: And again, the costume design... Uh, and so forth everything coming together here for darth vader part part of what's so powerful about this whole movie is its production design and look i I don't want to say it's absolutely brilliant to have you know all your pure your purest of pure characters wear white and your most evil character has no face has no human skin visible and it wears all black um but it also works. It works in that immediately you understand this is somebody whose humanity you cannot connect with. Um, uh, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, rumors from 1977 all the way to the release of Empire Strikes Back, rumors, was he a robot, was he this, was he that? No. So great great mystery to him into which you could put your own worst. You know, is he the devil? Is he a ad- whatever it is you could put the worst in there? and it's just there it is in the costume design
1: the black on black of the costume contrasted with the white stormtroopers in the rebels uh white hallways you know it is simple it is elegant um and then princess leia here in these death star plans loaded into R2 um before we hear the iconic voice of James Earl Jones, not always necessarily meant to come out of Darth Vader's faceplate.
0: The stories certainly vary. David Prowse, who's in the suit, who's got this kind of clipped, slightly higher Welsh accent, claims it always was going to be him, uh, until Prowse claims... Uh, George Lucas discovered there were no people of color in the film, and then decided to change that. Uh, go back, go go check on YouTube. You know, Darth Vader undubbed. I think we could all agree this is not necessarily the voice of the the scariest the screen villain ever.
1: You know, I want them alive.
0: Like it. it, it sorry, David, it wasn't going to happen. Cool story. You dined out on it for forty years. R.I.P. David Prowse. Um, but certainly uh you know a marriage made in heaven having James Earl Jones and the gravitas that comes with his voice and his performance to to add another layer of life to this to this character who again, I don't want to again overstate the obvious a character whose face you can't see, whose uh you know facial performance you cannot rely on to get emotion um who whose eyes you can't connect with to sense. The soul, whether it's a happy, sad, whatever soul it might be for any particular particular actor, so James Earl Jones delivering so much of the soul. Don't want to take away from Prowse, who also in the body is delivering so much. But I mean, what a what a combination!
1: Well, let's uh, thank our lucky stars that we kept uh, the British uh, Anthony Daniels here for his wonderfully prissy. C-3PO, the Laurel and Hardy of robots here getting into the escape pod, down to Tatooine, um, and really where the science fiction gives way to the fantasy here, uh, these dunes of Tunisia, uh, you know, transformed into an alien planet these Jawas, these little people chasing after these uh droids. They split up, they eventually reunite again on the sand crawler. Um Little Pete, Matt, used to think that the other droids in that scene were actually saying things like Gonk, 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 that is my correct name. I once swore up and down he was saying or uh the other one uh the the silver ish uh protocol droid with the uh different face than c-3po it's a death star droid uh from the marketing uh that he just swore up and down that he said you're going nowhere r2 it
0: is it is interesting to think again you know through 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 the lens of going back in time it's interesting to think that while on the one hand this is the standalone movie that i described towards the beginning of the podcast it's just every frame has this lived in aesthetic to it i mean clearly pete i would assume uh maybe in this scene it's being populated with um you know demo outfits for the protocol droid hey this doesn't work let's go back to the drawing board try something else. you know like along the way to get to c-3po similarly for some of the some of the other droids um maybe it was you know uh prototypes along the way to get the final r2d2 design and then hey while you have that in there stick it in this scene um but it doesn't feel that way it just feels like as as you're as you're getting used to this universe for the first time if you can imagine going you know going there the first time how there's just these these droids look similar but different and it's there's such a richness there that almost belays the notion that this is a standalone film
1: which is funny is repeated a number of times throughout this saga but strangely never gets old you know essentially in a little bit the cantina is the same thing um and and here are all these designs and and that's why the design teams with Star Wars, PAR excellence, you know, Macquarie and then later to the prequels with Doug Chiang and and all of those uh, but you know with the Sandcrawler sequence and then you know the the redone versions that begin all the way in nineteen ninety-five and and stretch until the film reached um uh, Blu-rays the last time it's actually no for uh Disney Plus we now have the McClunky cut.
0: I know that uh it was in a certain sense, the first special edition being that 1981 re-release that was the first time that uh, episode four, A New Hope, was added. So I, again, that's not maybe as special edition-y as uh, some of the things we'll talk about later in the plot of this film as it exists now. But um, it is interesting to think that George has gone back and tinkered to some degree basically for the entire substantive history of uh, of Star Wars
1: combing the desert here the sand troopers now we have moving dewback uh beasts of burden whereas before they were static and you know the sand crawler is even more uh, dynamic going over the dunes here before winding up at whiny luke skywalker uncle owen and aunt beru's homestead here where all he wants to do is get some power converters at tashi station but winds up purchasing and cleaning these droids and ultimately finding this message
0: and i think this scene is some of lucas's strongest in terms of um and worth mentioning too. probably does not need to be stated but the 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 whole movie underpinned by the music of john williams but the way in which you know it's like uncle owen's looking over the stuff you know calls luke over luke in his kind of on-screen close-up introduction you know stepping into the close-up yes Mm -hmm. you also have the the john williams music to support that as well but it's just every element kind of saying if you've been if you've been dazzled and somewhat thrown into the wild by the the who is this the big robot guy or something dressed in black and now we're wait it's a movie about the gold guy and the other little guy who beeps that you can't understand what he says and what's going on and there's something with plans and you know to sit and go here is our square-jawed hero here is our farm boy stepping into camera trumpet theme saying this is your guy audience um and i mean mark hamill playing him extra whiny here uh to really set up the certainly the maturation process that happens over the three films let alone that happens in this film um perhaps pete it's easy to act like a young teenage brat maybe that's easier than you know other things to perform but it's what the scene needs and it's what mark hamill delivers and the casting of this
1: film just hits home run after home run after home run it was super apparent for me rewatching the film that death star briefing scene where luke is sitting with the other pilot and it's like one of these has massive on-screen charisma and the other not so much um that it's completely a parent but at the same time he he can play this innocent he can play this cloying kid early on that so very much sells you at times like wow that's whiny and and then the earnestness of well tell me about my father and then getting drawn into the mystery of the force and ultimately this adventure that he goes on and you know, Mark Hamill's journey as a performer with this part uh, and, and the roundness that exists of it now, despite the fact that there are people that don't like the sequels and what they do with Luke, which I think only, you know, makes the character even
0: greater. You even look at the... um the meal scene, I guess, is a dinner with Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru, Um, where, you know, A, so much of this portion of the story is a massive exposition dump that never feels that way. You know, I'd like to leave, but I can't. All right, stay here one more season. Uh, my father, just leave it, just leave it. Some of the reaction shots between Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru, they're setting up. A larger story which again I, i'm not saying that lucas made this so self-contained that it was like the story would never continue because of course this is the first big battle and you know or, or as the crawl says there's been a recent success and this is but this is the first yeah. this is the beginning the the the, the first uh, shots the first battle of the rebellion not, not not the end of it and so forth but there's so much subtext there to a thing i mean i guess pete if nothing else lucas really was leaning into the notion the creative notion if not the production notion that this was part of that larger flash gordon not literally flash gordon of course but flash gordon style serial and that there was he was relying on more story than was within the story right um and it's it again it's stunning to think you know nowadays we all go well of course because you know you need to set up this and set up that i would argue the part of the Part of the failure of the the Han Solo movie was because they were overly aware of like gun origin story, name origin story, ship origin story, everything. And then special scene at the end, which requires you to have seen other things and sets up the sequel. Like it's overly reliant on making sure that, you know, it's connected to other things versus this just exists as these histories are there, even though you're never going to see it. Uh, Certainly not as this independent movies being made and, you know, and and the crew is laughing at the director and so forth, Um, but but still it is there.
1: And it's this textbook thing for screenwriting, for storytelling in terms of, you know, the Campbell-esque hero receives the call and has the longing to become more so that when Luke dejectedly leaves his aunt and uncle to go look at the twin sons of Tatooine there leaning on his leg and John Williams so handsomely playing the scene as he does throughout these first two films flawlessly. Um, You know, we have the alchemy of all that Star Wars entails Um, before it then becomes a little bit of a Western, non-space Western with the, the sand people Tusken Raiders, Matt for, you know, a little bit more of a polish, Uh, an elephant in a costume, the crate dragon scream and Sir Alec Guinness, who until his death, referred to this movie as no peace
0: uh also was okay i don't have the number in front of me he either had five percent or ten percent of the merchandising or whatever so yes 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 um he did uh, uh alec Guinness did speak a little derisively of star wars for the rest of his life but somehow always cashed those checks as the uh, as the toy money kept rolling on in um, but again, a great introduction there in terms of we don't know who this character is. I mean, if you want to, we don't know who this character is. Period. However, the reveal of who could it be in the desert? Again, you watch down, you go. I am informed by the prequel trilogy. I am informed within the last twelve months by the uh, Kenobi series and so forth. But the, the mystery of who is it, and then the hood comes off, and we are meant to say, there is Obi-Wan. There he is. Look how he has aged since I saw him last. All of that is kind of inferred, but none of it is actually part of the real production. Um, so again, just this conceit of it being part of a larger story. I guess what I'm trying to say is this, to any anyone being inspired to create stories out there that might be listening to this, maybe consciously creating your interconnected marketable toyable thing maybe that's not the path maybe just acting like this is an authentic giant world and referencing referencing the bigness of it the largeness of your world that's how you do it because again with this obi-wan reveal there he is pete look how he has aged since we saw him in the kenobi series that's what you feel now (laughs) i would argue that 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 sense of, look at him, look how he has aged. That's kind of implied in the very first viewing in 1977, even though there is no more story.
1: Yeah, of course he's not dead, not yet. Because <laughs> that happens at the end of the movie. Um, but the enrichment of this Clone Wars exposition, the handing off of the lightsaber, heirloom the unfurling of the force for the first time and then seeing the hologram of Leia again that as you mentioned with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series from Disney plus now this appearance has so much more you know loaded into it given that adventure and young Princess Leia and you know all their uh you know journey that they conducted together
0: uh i i know too uh on i think the dvd commentary track uh carrie fisher was still able to do that speech from memory because she had to do it so many times um i'll also just add the, the brilliance here of having hologram technology like that i mean let's break down what it is they filmed carrie fisher with a black background they've done it from multiple angles somebody has done the math to make sure that the angles that they filmed her at either will match or did match i don't know how you know the order in which things were filmed but did match your onset angles of like here's the here's the empty floor that we're going to put the thing in later but all they do is just play her image at half fade in and put some little blue on there and put some put some static and so forth and again you get this impression of this larger technology when it's just you know it's she pete she's half beamed in you know the half faded in and 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 colored blue that's it but it sells you on this larger this larger message it sells you on the plans that are in there and of course it keeps the uh keeps the plot moving forward as Pete, in proof that this is a standalone story uh, that Lucas has the hots hoty taty, the farm boy for the princess. Nothing to worry about there.
1: I will never be convinced otherwise that Lucas did not have them as brother and sister in this film. Um, the, the kissy face stuff, Empire Strikes Back. That was, how do I top it for for Jedi? Uh, We had, I am your father. Now, welcome, introduce you to your sister. But um, speaking of larger technology here, this Death Star that we glimpse for the first time, this battle station, we have Grand Moff Tarkin with the conference uh, room scene here, our boy, Yalarin, the only uh, Imperial in white, which now with the advent of Andor means so much more to watch this. Um, and Matt, this scene where Darth Vader uses the force for the first time to choke Admiral Mahdi, something that when I was little, so he he very strangely, after he is choked here, he comes forward with an open mouth. Obviously he's gasping, but right over one of the buttons that is yellow, that as a child, I believe he had some neon vomit. <laughs>
0: um, it's wonderful. I'm sure for everybody to be able to. Neon
1: vomit is not wonderful. I'm sure it's probably the total opposite.
0: <laughs> what I was going to say is just, just for, for, for each of us, to go back, if you can, to go back to the first time you saw this movie or, or, or before you were, Pete, for, for, for all of us who are a certain age, to remember when Star Wars was just one movie or two movies or three you know, whatever it is, where you could have these questions. Um, certainly, I mean, the first time I saw the movie was on VHS tape. And at the moment, I don't have specific memories of like, oh man, seeing it in widescreen, all of a sudden, uh you know, I take that back. Some of the some of the Death Star battle stuff. Um, I know there's this if if we may go out of order just for the briefest moment, there's a scene. Um, maybe it's Luke helping Wedge, but there's a scene where somebody has a TIE Fighter on their back and another X Wing comes and destroys the TIE Fighter and flies through the flies through the damage of it. It wasn't until I think it wasn't until um I saw the movie in widescreen, whether that was the special edition in theaters or a DVD release or something where it was like that scene made more sense because in widescreen you could see that they were flying through it or whatever the particulars were. But, um, But I know this, in that scene there, obviously, again, with all the story boxes that need to be checked, we need to now kind of start to lay out the force and what it can do and so forth uh the sound effects here the the ben burt sound effects fine we all understand r2d2 beeping and we all understand gears moving and so forth but the what stands out for me from this scene to get the choking sound i believe i'm correct in saying is a grapefruit rind with walnuts in it and as soon as you kind of imagine that you go yes if i did put walnuts in a grapefruit rind and kind of you know not squeeze but kind of slowly start to choke it how like yeah would get you, you you could hear the grapefruits, pardon me, you can hear the, the walnuts in the grapefruit rind in that choking. Um, but also it just feels like, oh my goodness. And then of course there's the high collars in the costume, right? That only help. He's trying to pull the costume, pull the collar back. We've all had a collar that's a bit too tight, but this is really too tight. What's going on. It's the force.
1: Yeah. And becomes his signature move with these underlings. Anytime anybody gives him a hard time, um, you know, having gripped a rebel, with his arm lifting him off the floor before, and now it's a magic villain instead of just an intimidating uh, you know, guy in a cape who's strong, and later on the the laser sword. So the layers of Vader, um, you know, given to us doled out. But really now the the stakes of the film, of the story are clear that Tarkin uh, who Vader is really the henchman of um, wants to eliminate the rebellion, the princess in one swift stroke, get these plans back. Um, We have uh, Luke and uh, Obi-Wan and the droids finding additional stakes that now the, the Jawas have been, wiped out, but it's been staged to look like the uh indigenous did it when really it was the stormtroopers and the realization by Luke that his aunt and uncle are in danger and racing back home to find their smoking skeletons and something that, you know, as as long as I've ever watched this film remains jarring.
0: Well, this is an example. This is perhaps the, the, the rarest of examples where the full screen version of the movie that I grew up with has a, has, has an edit that I think is slightly better than the widescreen version, which is when you see the skeletons and you see it on full screen. I don't know, I I must confess, Pete, I don't remember full screen ever made its way to DVD, um, certainly full screen original edition but on, on VHS you know for those of you who don't remember full screen uh, what they would do sometimes is what's called pan and scan so you they within a static shot to get full screen they would actually add a, add a motion from left to right or whatever it might be and it would be the you know in the version i first saw the full screen version you know they cut to the let's say the smoking ruins of the house and then as the music goes, dun, dun, the mm. image moves over to reveal the skeletons. Uh, the way it was shot, the way it was intended and so forth is you just get kind of the medium shot of all of that, the 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 steps, the smoking bodies and so forth. And you kind of look at it. Oh, the bodies, dun, dun. Um, I always think of that whenever I rewatch the film that I grew up with the version where it's like. A slightly more dramatic reveal of what there's all this chaos and they are dead as the music hits its climax um so again pete special editions on special editions i suppose
1: and then the double barrel of leia now being interrogated uh and then the torture device and the needle and the cut to the cell block of what you don't see something that was recreated uh, for andor in that first season there, what with Bix, uh, a forerunner of Princess Leia um, and ultimately this Moss Eisley sequence, I mean it's it's hard to say what's the what's the pivotal sequence of the original, Star Wars? Is it this? Is it the Death Star battle? Is it the opening with uh, the ship? Is it the chasm swing? There's so many that you can point to, but this entrance uh, to the most wretched hive of scum and villainy that you'll ever find that's since been redone with the preparation towards the prequels and the advent of all the digital technology. And it it comes across a little too jokey now with the Ronto beasts and the Jawas falling off when the speeder, it's just a little too busy. It did flesh it out, but I, I think this is why Lucas was always at his best when someone told him no, or he wasn't able to do it. Um, because now it's a kitchen sink, whereas before it was a wonderland of prosthetics by the time that we're in the cantina.
0: Yes, and what has aged most poorly uh, in the special edition here is, as you're saying, it's not just the jokey stuff, although I think that the, the tone there is not in the tone of, you know, this is a somewhat disparate, um town yes in the special edition most Eisley is a more vibrant place than kind of like the dead end town that budget allowed for in the original version um but what what also has aged poorly is and some of this has only really become codified maybe in the last 5 8 years or so and certainly in the Mandalorian era but the notion that your digital camera needs to be following the same rules as your um practical camera in terms of just you know the eye can pick up how fast there's a certain visual language in terms of how fast things can zoom and how fast a camera on tracks can move and things like that and I'm not faulting George for not following those rules because those rules were not innately understood um the way I think they are now and you certainly look at some of the behind the scenes stuff for the Mandalorian I think of the uh the season two episode where they're on the they're on the fishing boat and some of the behind the scenes stuff. It's Favreau explaining to um, Bryce Dallas Howard, you know, imagine this scene. Of course, we're on the volume. Of course, there's this great digital impact and so forth. But what could you show? We could not stick a crane in the middle of the ocean. This is not a crane shot. This is a helicopter shot to just be really keeping your keeping all these digital tools. You know, Pete, you you reference saying no. The yes and no conversation is not, I I think creatively this way or that way. The conversation being more along the lines of what can make it look real. Um, And some of the worst stuff in the special edition, in this scene in particular, it's the stuff that it doesn't look real because the pixels aren't right, or doesn't look real because, uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit, Java version one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, however many digital Java versions there have been. Because those don't look um, kind of uh, digitally mastered properly. It's that the camera's doing things that our eye says, "Hey, that's not how cameras work." Therefore, it's fake.
1: There is a little bit of blurriness to some of the bigger digital beasts and the movement. This was proto, uh, you know, Jurassic Park, you know, and then done right after it Um, because that stuff had been in development for a long time it couldn't get the photorealism of it down and ultimately the success of jurassic park led to all right now i can tell my prequels because that technology exists uh that and maybe uh the merchandising slowing down at one point but anyway uh it's not all bad there are uh additions to the cantina sequence here in particular uh that work one of them is a head that is actually used twice in two different directions first it's viewed um with uh kind of looks like a beak and it's wearing a hat and then the second time they turn it around um so they use the same head twice which is kind of cool it's added Uh, In 1997, but all the iconic aliens in there, you know, Matt, your favorite musicians and their style of jazz. Um, And again, John Williams recording the, the steel drums and everything that just makes this sequence so important.
0: And this is probably as good a scene as any to just officially ring the bell to say the extra layer of magic really is John Williams here to kind of get the, um, to get the mandate from this scene. Uh, well, I don't know if it was in the script, but for John Williams to say, "I'm going to have them playing 1930s jazz, but it's like on alien instruments, except we're going to be using you know earthbound instruments, but it's it's alien instruments and they're kind of." They got the jazz music, and they're not quite sure how to read it. So it's again, we kind of get this upbeat. It's this upbeat club jazz thing. Like it, it he was given. It, this was not George saying, "Play this note, then play into that note, and so forth." George said, "Here's kind of what I want," and John Williams had the creative freedom to turn it into these two iconic um, cantina songs that just read as live band jazzy familiar different you then layered in with the costumes and the props and so forth and it just it is seamless um I, pete i'm thinking of the musical number in return of the jedi which i have come to like more as the years have gone on and we'll talk which about one, it. though. <laughs> the the is that Lopti neck is that did it replace uh, Lopt- it wh- was, whatever the it,
1: it, it was at one point a little different um with with that band there and really you could argue they're like all right let's let's do the cantina but again um this is the og this established that um and for my mind you can never surpass it you could only maybe try to equal it um but it's the simplest costume in the room that grants us access to Han Solo in Chewbacca here. All right, let's, let's make a, a, a dog into a person. And, uh, he's going to be the, the co-pilot and the, and the, you know, companion of Harrison Ford of 35 year old Harrison Ford, Matt, who shot first, right? McClunky. (laughs)
0: Um, it is interesting to think that Chewbacca as a character and R2D2 as a character are both written in a way that they give dialogue and other characters reply to the dialogue but it's not it doesn't feel like it is translation like it's not you know let me tell you what Chewbacca just said there's just all of that boy you're right Chewie where did they dig up this old fossil like and and similarly with R2D2 where you have these two-sided conversations but somehow it's been written in a way. I mean, it must, it must be incredibly difficult to be like, in this scene, they need to talk about XYZ and one, two, three. But now I need to make sure that one half of the conversation is like always acknowledging what the other person said because the audience won't know what R2D2 and Chewbacca say and so forth. Um, and I think, again, it adds that bit of effort, that bit of writing effort adds to the magic of the wide expanse of this. This you know, alien uh, view that we're seeing, despite the fact that it's, you know, again, a modestly budgeted film that, that not a lot of people believed in.
1: Jabba the Hutt is first mentioned with Greedo, the bounty hunter, and they had shot a Jabba sequence back when Jabba was played by a person. And hence the line, you're a wonderful human being. With the digital transformation into the Java that we all know and love, but not really good in 1997 and only slightly better on home video releases and redos, and still really difficult. That okay, well, Java is shaped this way, but Harrison Ford in this scene goes around him, and oh, all right, we'll have him step on his tail.
0: Yeah, I I I really like the addition of this scene to this. I like the addition to the story. I will agree that the effects, um, even to this day, the effects are not ideal. Um, They're better think, than
1: they first were.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it was and,
1: jarring to see this sequence for the first time in 1997. Yes, all right. But, oh, the Fed is in it that's good um but yeah and, and it's it, it has gotten better uh the way they've continued to work on it but what works the least is the mechanics of all right we have to have him walk over java
0: to me it just you know it it was the missing piece and of course interesting to think it was not missing when they were shooting the movie uh i I believe the original plan was to put a puppet to film a puppet separately and to put a puppet over the job of the hut actor they they didn't have a solid plan they didn't have a solid plan and that's not me being super critical they were making things up as they went along as you referenced whole initial edits of this movie were like and then there's that now they're going to attack. Here's a close-up of Mark Hamill. Here's a wide shot from a World War II movie. Here's a medium shot of a bomber from a World War II movie. Here's, you know, and so forth. So it it was a mess, as as every movie is at, at a certain point in production. But to have this as no, it's not just Job of the Hut referenced in passing, or it's not just the Greedo scene, which I think there's one without this Job of the Hut scene, I think one way to view the Greedo scene, um. Certainly in 1977, and maybe just even if you do have access to the whole original trilogy, is this is just an action thing to show that Han Solo is you know a rough and tumble guy, but to have Greedo mention Jabba the Hut, then you see Jabba the Hut now, and at the end of this movie, Han Solo is leaving because he has to go pay Jabba the Hut. Um, that's a complete arc within this movie, and then of course next movie that's a factor too. You know solo getting you know he, he's hung around too long in the beginning uh um and then still being hunted ultimately successfully you know blah 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 for empire and return of the jedi and so forth to me that i'll take the imperfect effects even to this day um because it just makes it makes all those arcs stronger
1: and the lived in world here the uh you know Essentially, stall where this rundown looking spaceship that's also super fast, that's got all these records, and that there's spy overtones here. That this long snoot alien, Garandon, has sold them out, has seen them, and spotted them to the stormtroopers, ultimately leading to their hurried escape. Uh, getting away from multiple star destroyers. there really the same one just shot twice. <laughs> it's super apparent. Um, and then Alderaan brought into this uh, never seen other than just the, the planet um, from above and to have it blown up to have, you know, Princess Leia's home world destroyed and all the resonance that's since come from that uh, as Luke is training with a remote on the Falcon uh, and Ben senses that disturbance as the droids and Chewie are playing the uh, Dejarik game there, ultimately leading to that no moon uh, you know, disclosure by Ben when they come through the asteroids, the the remnants of Alderon, and sucked into this fortress, the Death Star, uh, hiding in compartments before ultimately splitting up to uh, try to escape.
0: I think what you're capturing there is how wonderfully compact this movie is while still feeling so expansive how there's there's no there's no fat on the meat you know we've had it established the Han Solo you know uh even he gets boarded sometimes sometimes he's a smuggler things like that now we have to smuggle ourselves uh, because of the virtue of the the you know wibsy-womsy nature of the force I mean it's all internally consistent but I'm just saying as George is making up rules here well how do you connect the far-off Death Star from what's going on with uh you know on the millennium falcon you know all the disturbance in the force and so forth just everything is so interconnected um again in an organic and internal way it's not well we need to come up with i don't mean to beat up on the solo movie but i think pete it's it's the biggest offender of it like gun origin story name origin story this that the other while also setting up prequel and uh merchandising and or sequel etc like this this is just such a well-written movie to give us as i said massive galaxy but also you know pete can i say it hashtag it's all connected
1: (laughs) solos still not as poorly done as attack of the clones but a discussion for other podcasts um added to the Uh, Special edition here, the narration by Anthony Daniels, you can tell because of the intonation of the voice about, oh, what exactly will happen as you disconnect the tractor beam so that we understand what Ben is going to do. I think it worked a little bit better before that, leading to this Death Star cat and mouse game. That goes on. You know, all right, we're going to. We found that the princess is here after Ben has left. So he's not really blessed how we're going to do this, but we're going to go about this by using Chewie as a pawn, that he's the prisoner and the shootout of the rescue that ultimately winds them up in the trash compactor. But Princess Leia, Ben Kenobi, what and then there they go
0: and i think the trash compactor scene i mean yes it's fun just in terms of you know there's just a certain old school like you know ridiculousness and adventure to it and there's the monster in there i think also in terms of pacing that's a scene where it lets the kind of the the pre-chase the quasi-chase nature of like you know we're dressed as stormtroopers we're going to take chewbacca here and that's not exactly maybe pre-chase isn't quite quite the right word but there's a certain tension there that increases increases now they're coming through shoot 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 into the garbage shoot and all of that pacing wise it lets things slow down a little bit lets there be some character conversation yeah you get the increases in energy with the the trash monster and you know um again the interconnected nature here of shutting down uh you know all the uh trash compactors on the detention level and so forth you get the humor injected there where our heroes are cheering at the successful uh you know that they did not die so now they've gone from fighting (laughs) to they're bonded and c 3 Oh, they're they're dying and so forth like you get again it it's a it's a change in pace from the tense undercover leading to a fight and to a chase and all of that Uh, again just what a what a miraculous writing job here
1: the Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher chemistry. And, you know, the, the book that she put out just prior to her death, um, as she was finishing up with this character that ultimately would be her legacy, talking about the real world affair that they had during the shooting of this film. Um, and it's completely apparent, you know, how they get along. Um, but it's with Luke, it's with the character that would ultimately be revealed as, as her brother, that she winds up uh, splitting off and they have this tremendously blocked, emotional, invested, adventurous uh, sequence with the the chasm and, swinging over and shooting at the stormtrooper from the other side uh ultimately leading to this showdown between darth vader and obi-wan um and the duel here which really not a good sword fight and i remember very strongly the the ways in which the rotoscoping doesn't work like wait is is obi-wan's uh lightsaber old does it you know uh malfunction or is it just poor special effects which is it you know you've had people come through and make this sequence like super acrobatic and overpowered and everything like that i would argue it works best as it is um And really, it's the dialogue that sells this duel more than any of the others throughout the franchise. You know, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And uh, for Luke, for Leia in retrospect of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, to witness him give himself over to be struck down, um, and what we now know of... Of what he made happen to himself. Um and then to immediately follow that up with not a huge scene of grief, but there's not enough time to do that. And and now we need to have a TIE fighter uh shoot down uh fight in the Millennium Falcon.
0: Yeah, A, it's another example of just these variety of story pressures, making sure that you can maintain a certain pace. Um, Yes, I think we are all, we on our first view were all shocked that, uh, Pete, if you can believe it, the boy must become a man for all his, you know, all all, all his uh, parental figures are now gone and so forth. Um, But lest this become melodramatic or or, or, uh, any other kind of pacing concern, yes, there's this, you know, obviously very world war ii bomber inspired you know both go to the little gun pods and um i know in particular this was a scene that and you can find them on youtube where people said in fact it might be damn busters which i know we had talked about during uh during the andor podcast but this is heavily informed by a couple of world war ii movies sometimes shot for shot um Pete, I would say that's part and parcel with the Lucas aesthetic here that, you know, people don't, people don't own stories. I mean, don't, don't lift dialogue, don't lift characters and circumstances, uh, directly, but transposing, reforming a world war two bomber shootout scene, putting it in space, putting it where now it's the guns on the top and the bottom, as opposed to maybe a rear gunner front, you know, nose gunner kind of thing. It's enough different that it's new it's familiar enough that we can still understand, you know, Oh look, he's taking his eyes off the screen and turning a knob or this or that. It's because adjustments to guns and stuff. Mm. And, you know, it's a very, very fun scene coming off of, you know, a, Hey, we just lost Obi-Wan. He was a great character. And B, you know, what's the mystery there where there was no body and he faded. What was that? Well, we don't have time to think about that. Um, but we for, for
1: so we know that you know he he's he's still watching out. Um, but it's only it's funny it's it only crops up in certain moments. Run, Luke, run, because he needs to know to to go, but doesn't, uh, you know, assist him in his first space battle. Ironically, um, but it's these small victories in the face of these huge. Odds here, and then you know what's since been expanded this arrival to uh, the rebel uh, stronghold of Yavin 4, um, and what is created by the Death Star with the homing beacon and being, well, we let them get away so we can track them. It creates that story clock because they've got to orbit the planet
0: and let's get it out of the way now so much of the the death star is coming closer portion of this climax so much of the certainly certainly so much of the attack on the death star trench run stuff um pete it has been stated that the movie was saved by uh the editors of the film paul hirsch marshall lucas uh, and Richard Chu, uh, Marsha Lucas, uh, George's wife for, uh, for this time, uh, wife for the next five, six years until their divorce, which, quick tangent, because of the divorce settlement, money was tight. Uh, in the mid 80s, Lucas sold off the animation group, which became Pixar. Lucas got behind the next great hit, which was going to be Howard the Duck, which was a bomb. Um, and, uh, and so on and so forth but problems there were you, you can go on youtube and pete you might remember the exact story here that you can go on youtube and see how the how the movie was originally edited um it's probably a fan thing not an official thing but um major portions of this battle here were moved around um to increase tension and particularly when you go back and watch, and you know the Death Star is eight minutes away, the mm-hmm. Death Star is five minutes away. A lot of that is being done in the edit, a to make stakes clear, and b to keep the pace moving along. Um, I, I believe I'm correct in saying that initially a lot of that stuff was not there, and kind of the more ethereal Lucas was like, "Oh, people will figure it out," and it took these editors saying, no, we need to have somebody saying now it's worse than before. Now it's really close and all, all that sort of stuff.
1: It was a great sequence when it first hit theater screens. And it it is a tremendous climax for a blockbuster film. It remains again, the standard um, that, that so often they attempt to recreate. I don't know that we've been there since, but uh, enhanced by the special edition, by the, the digital possibilities that they were able to add to the movement that they could now give the ships that they couldn't make when they were, you know, miniatures and everything there. But the way that it's blocked, not really changed terribly you know from a strafing run to a dog fight to a a, a trench run a, a a bombing procedure that uh, even uh gets redone in 2022 <laughs>
0: um yeah, yeah boy does it if listen everybody after you watch top gun maverick then track down the uh, the uh pitch story on youtube um of it and they really hammer home how like i was just watching going oh my goodness if frank herbert wanted to maybe sue star wars over things that were lifted for dune maybe star wars should think about suing top gun maverick for
1: well listen i i would argue i
0: I say that tongue-in-cheek by the way but
1: yeah but I, i i think for top gun to do that there there are a lot of ways you could go wrong by trying to do that. All right, let's, let's set up. We're going to do the, uh, you know, top gun death star run. Um, it, it works and it still is its own thing at the same time.
0: Oh no, Pete, he's turned off his targeting computer, but he's going <laughs> to do it with the force that is inside him. That was the thing in the pitch meeting where I was like, Oh my goodness, they really did. It's not just, Oh, they go through a trench. Cause guess what? There's a real, uh, there's a real mountain range under air force control in in the real world, you know, that's part of the air force base whatever that's called like the Star Wars trench or something like that that they they practice these things in. Totally get it. A trench is a trench is a trench. Lucas doesn't own that, but
1: when they're finally able to put Mark Hamble in an actual uh starfighter cockpit and have him feel the real uh g forces We will have have come uh, full orbit on the Death Star there. But until we've done that, you know, um, Tom Cruise and Xenu just had to, you know, plant that flag first. Um, But it's funny in retrospect, you know, so one of the biggest complaints, not mine, certainly uh, at all of the sequels is that the character of Ray is termed as what is a Mary Sue, as someone who receives little to no training, uh, yet is able to do this. It is a sexist, uh, misogynistic way to refer, obviously, to what I think is a great character. Um, Let's not avoid here, Matt. Uh, Luke's training consists of Hurting animals on his own. Uh, This is the first time he has ever flown a starfighter in space. And he is the last one to make this. Yes, it is with the assistance of the magic mentor and all of that. But can we calm down on the criticism of Ray when so many of the same things were done by Luke?
0: Totally agree with that statement. And zeroing in on this film here it struck me on the rewatch for this podcast um how and certainly this was not a new revelation but kind of it kind of w- w- was very apparent as i was watching how there's the y-wing bombers they're the ones there's multiple waves of y-wing bombers they're the ones that are meant to actually do this thing <laughs> then it doesn't work it's a no it just bounced off the surface etc they then get picked off then there's the, you know, the, the X-Wings are going to do it. And some of those X-Wing folks get picked off. Now it's like, so again, not that I'm, not that I'm in any way disagreeing with your analysis about the, the strength of Rey as a character. But within this film, on the one hand, we understand like Luke Skywalker is the guy and he's probably going to do the thing. And, you know, I'm an hour and the, an hour and the uh, Thirty minutes into this movie, I have a feeling in the next half hour, Luke is going to save the day. Okay, fine. Still, though, the story says he's got to earn it by two other bomber—you wi- know, two bomber wings are taken out and unsuccessful. Other X-wings are unsuccessful. Now we can see—you know—it's not the general going. Luke, you get in there because you're the star of the movie. It's like there's not many people left, so now it's his time. Now the hero must answer the call. Now that there there are no others. Uh, now the boy must become a man and all of that. It's all, it's all certainly supported within this story. The
1: character of wedge played by Dennis Lawson here, uh, Ewan McGregor's real life uncle, um, you know, the one that has to to bail out best friend Biggs, who that reconnection scene uh, put back in before they left for the bombing run. Um, for the special editions blown up and really what does it come down to it comes down to a a failed attempt as you said with the with the y-wing and then those guys are taken out and it's all down to the force it's faith in yourself and uh if you have some friends that come out of nowhere at the last minute
0: which again i would argue the job of the hut stuff the job of the hut scene makes the conflict makes the fact that that han solo had to leave it kind of distills that it makes that more important it makes it more important that he has to leave so when he does come back to save the day um i can only imagine pete on first view it's it was insane thing to see i know on youtube there's like if you search for you know uh han solo returns uh You know, movie audio or something like that. You know, there are people sitting there with tape recorders with audiences that had no idea. And all of a sudden he comes and, you know, what's that? Yahoo! Let's save the day. And how people are just going insane.
1: In the the starlight there, you know, it's flawless. And it's not super complicated either. You know, you had to have a feeling you would see him again. The space cowboy, the trucker, whatever you know, archetype we're, we're going to attempt to, uh, slap onto it. Um, it, it's, it's so successful because it is simplistic, um, but layered at the same time. Uh, so they, they blow it up and however many times we need to redo
0: the explosion.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: give it- I like this. Expo- I think the explosion with the ring Which of course was done with
1: the with the the practical with all the little you know uh, pieces of real uh, pyrotechnics and there's just something special about that. We've we've overdone it with the shock waves and everything else. It it's fine. I get it. I understand it the same way they did it with Alderaan previously. It's it's consistent. Um, but to go home for the celebration and, and something, you know, once they yell each other's names and I, I don't fully buy in that uh, Luke says Carrie. I know that's the quote unquote story. I don't hear it. The subtitle doesn't say it. It says Leia. Um, and then the dialogue lists and best left that way metal ceremony or chewie doesn't get one
0: well yes there's been this big success the death star blown up i think that again the genius of the writing here is we've seen we've seen r2d2 get um critically damaged prior to that which again also supports the notion luke you are completely by yourself fine he's turning off the targeting computer but he's relying on himself there's not his robot co-pilot friend to help out in any way it's kind of complete self-reliance but yes there's this big thing we've there's you know there's been this great success everyone's cheering we see i mean i remember distinctly as a kid r2d you know again watching on home video r2d2 brought down oh can you repair him we'll try our best things of that you know lines of that sort and as a kid just being like oh no like is he dead now um, and then the fact that there's not like, yes, we will fix him right away. The fact that there is that little bit of tension, that mm-hmm. little bit of sour in the sweet, you get them, the, the dialogless metal ceremony, you know, the great March, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you kind of, you know, when you fill out that dais there and you see clean, shiny C-3PO and working clean, you know, hopping with excitement R2-D2, it's that last little bit of sour is now gone and boom, it's that fully earned, you know, in a certain sense, it's not it's not kind of the the, the climax in terms of the conflict, but kind of the full resolution here, you know, only resolves when everybody's clean and shiny and r 2 d 2s there as well.
1: The regality of Carrie Fisher here, the updo, uh, you know, being able to to be this royal character not as an action hero now um luke aping hans apparel uh all of that and you know these these ragtag rebels upon rebels luke the least likely of them all to have done this in a, a burgeoning hero um it's for for its edits, it, it still remains an almost perfect film, certainly by uh, science fiction, fantasy action standards.
0: And Pete, of course, the legacy, not just in terms of the entire Star Wars universe that this would become, but let's talk about a more immediate legacy nominated for 10 Oscars. Um, in addition to a special achievement award for Ben Burt and the sound, um, and his sound creation and so forth, um, I remember in the in the early days of the internet, you know, I had no idea that Star Wars was such a highly nominated film, nominated for best director, best picture, best supporting actor, best Still original screenplay.
1: Hard to swallow that it loses to Annie Hall, which is not become a better
0: idea in time uh agree agree um but winning oscars for art direction costumes editing score uh sound again i guess that's sound in general because somehow ben burt was not nominated for sound that's probably why he got this special achievement oscar as well and of course winning for visual effects just the notion pete particularly here we are all these years later where are the Oscars less important than they used to be? Yes. Are they is the sun setting on the importance of Oscars? Maybe the notion that this wildly, you know, the the biggest movie ever for its time, um, could be critically appreciated, could be, you know, a, a major force at the Oscars. Um, you know, just just again, it's it, it's immediate legacy was clear that it that this was that this was you know just just a major force not just in 1977 but reviving the kind of 1970s uh vietnam slash post vietnam malaise and so forth and the notion that the whole family could go to the movies enjoy themselves from the youngest to the oldest and so forth um that's part of what this what this film carries with it It didn't just change
1: Hollywood. It changed popular culture, maybe the greatest example
0: of that. Well, Pete, I know over on our Patreon, we're going to keep this conversation going a little bit further, talking about how what might be a perfect movie in Star Wars and New Hope, uh, how that might be made today. Uh, but, of course, this podcast and every podcast made possible by those who support us on Patreon, particularly as uh, the the last of those storage and bandwidth bills will be coming in shortly. And, uh, Pete, they are – I don't know if they're the wind beneath our wings, but they are the little voice in our head saying, uh, run, Matt and Pete, run to the
1: podcast. <laughs> Look forward to bringing you our special edition of Star Wars A New Hope uh, conversation there. Uh, Everybody who contributes to Patreon slash uh, Fantastic Geek gets exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to contribute at, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer to any of our now 33 Matt podcast feeds fresh off the uh, materialization of the uh, secret, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 33, Secret Invasion uh, podcast by Fantastic Geek, the next Marvel Disney Plus show now available on Apple Podcasts.
0: And Pete, let's keep the conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on an existing social media platform? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Peter,
1: K E T E L a a r uh
0: 12682 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do me in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com, check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today pete this time next week we will be talking about uh a, a modest movie uh, attempted to be made without any studio involvement at all, called The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, certainly, as Marvel, Star Wars, and Star Trek news unfolds, we'll be covering that as it happens. Uh, looking ahead to next month, we'll be previewing uh, Mandalorian, Picard. We'll be going to the movies to see Ant Man and the Wasp, "Quantumania," Picard will be starting and so forth. Uh, but again, for right now, the focus solely on Star Wars. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word.
1: Foreign conversation, anyway.